Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, only you have the ability to anoint, Lord, your word so that it comes and is fresh in our hearts and in our minds. Only you, Lord, have the ability to come and touch the soul of, of man so that we recognize you as everything that you say that you are, Savior, Lord, Father, um, Redeemer, and so many other terms, or you, you come and, and you, you minister to us. And I just pray, Lord, this morning that you would, you would have a word for anybody who's listening, a word of, of encouragement, a word of growth, a word of love, a word of forgiveness. And so, Lord, we, we just come before you, seeking you and you alone. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. So, John chapter 15, let's jump right in. Jesus, here speaking, here teaching, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. That is, the one who comes around the vine and, and nourishes it and, and, and helps it to, to grow and to produce the most fruit. He says in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And in speaking to these disciples whom he's with, he says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Now he's speaking to the disciples saying, you are the branches, the believers. You here this morning, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him Notice that it's a two-way street there. Bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. This section of scripture, this teaching here this morning, is really about a couple of things. Obviously it's about bearing fruit, it's about abiding in Christ, but the thing that the Lord has kind of led me to this morning to really focus on is the issue of, of the seasons 
of the, li- of life's, of the life of Christians, the seasons that we go through, and, and the pruning and the process by which we go through in order to bear fruit. Now, Jesus, of course, speaking here, talking a lot about the vines, is speaking to the disciples who are largely Jewish, right? And they're very familiar with this idea of the vine. Back in the book of Isaiah, and also in many other places within the Old Testament, Psalm 80, for example, there are references to the nation of Israel as a vine. If we could go ahead and look at that first verse, Isaiah 5.2 says this, and if you go, go ahead and turn there if you'd like. Isaiah 5.2 says this, speaking of the nation of Israel, he dug it up and cleared out its stones, and he planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected, this is the expectation of God the Father, he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. I have about a slightly under two acre property of land here in Florida, and I have a lot of wild grapevines that have been growing in it, and they're actually really hard to get rid of. I don't know if anybody else has wild grape problems. You have wild grape problems, okay. So they're very prolific, but they don't produce very good fruit. It's very seedy, you know, you're like, oh great, and you pop it in there and you're like, (laughs) just to be clear, it goes on further. It, it, it neither tastes very good, nor is it very nutritious, and it's just full of seeds. I mean, that's the way wild grapes are. But when you and I go to the grocery store and we buy grapes, you go, you go, you go for those giant ones, you know? You're like, wow, I didn't know they made them as the size of grapefruit now. Like, they're just <laughs> enormous grapes, right? And they're all like, that are on that little vine piece, and you pluck them off, and it's all fruit. And there's no, let's all do it together, ready? You know know the feeling. And so the Lord wants us to bear good fruit, not seedy. You know, he wants it to be nutritious and wonderful and good tasting. But he, as he remarks there in Isaiah, this is the Lord's intent, but he says, but it brought forth wild grapes. Now, Jesus, as he's teaching here, if you look at the verse just before John 15 It says in verse 31 of chapter 14, Arise, let us go from here. And most likely, Jesus was at this point walking um, and heading in in two particular or two possible directions, which would have made this idea of the grapevine all that more important. One is he was either in the Kidron Valley or perhaps on the side of the Mount Olives, and it would have looked something like this. There were grape vineyards all throughout this area within Israel. In fact, this actually is a picture of a current uh, vineyard in the nation of Israel. Israel is very, is very prolific with their fruits and vegetables, and they're known as kind of the breadbasket of, of Europe, in fact. Um, I don't know if you have seen this in the current TV show, The Chosen, but the people are always eating this, this ama- these amazing pieces of fruit within that, and they're kind of showing that that was an area where this was very, very common where they had really good quality of fruit. So either he was in this area, he was walking by these vineyards uh, and kind of showing them this, or he was possibly heading towards the temple. So if you could go to that next picture as well. 
The temple gate, which was known by Joseph, uh, described by Josephus as having at this time, this was Herod's temple, and it had around the main gates these kind of wrappings. In fact, Josephus says the gate opening had moreover above it those golden vines from which depended grape clusters as tall as a man, and it had golden doors. The exterior of the building wanted nothing that could astound either mind or eye. This was a great architectural feature. And what they happened to do at the temple at this time is that they had these ornate um, vines that were around the door openings, and they would actually hang certain things of sacrifice from those golden vines. So it's possible that Jesus was also walking by the temple. Either one of these are potential ideas. And he was pointing to these things or pointing out to his disciples as he was going through. But now he makes this astounding statement. And when we read it, we don't quite read it the way that they probably heard it. When he says, I am the true vine, that would have been a remarkable thing because they had grown up knowing that Israel was the vine. That the, the, the thing that God had talked about was about this nation. And now here Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And my father, his father, the vine dresser. And what he's saying is, guys, the whole thing that you've been raised up thinking to these Jewish disciples, it's me. I am, I am the vine. Now, this, again, would have been astounding to them, but it's also kind of maybe astounding for us because for those of you who don't grow up in a Jewish background, to, be, to become believers means that you have not grown up in that Israel vine, that Jesus is your vine, but how, how in the world do you and I get into that vine? And we're told in the book of Romans this wonderful thing about being grafted in. It says here in Romans 11, verse 17, and if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, isn't that a wonderful compliment? You, the wild olive tree, you know? If anybody asks who you are, I'd be like, I'm just a wild olive tree, just hanging out here on planet Earth, you know? But if you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them, became a partaker of the root and fatness. I like that. The root and fatness of the olive tree. I didn't realize when I first became a believer, which was about 20 years ago, about the richness of Christ. I just didn't know. I didn't know what the richness of the church was. I didn't know what the beauty of God's love was. I just didn't know that. I didn't know that fatness of that true vine. And now having tasted it, I don't know if you feel this way at all, but when you taste of the true love of Christ, when you taste of the fatness of that, vine, that, that olive tree and the beauty of the fruit of Jesus, like nothing else satisfies you, right? Even Burger King just doesn't quite do that, you know? <laughs> Have it your way. And we're like, you're like, yeah, but like the Jesus way, you know, it's, it's, it's a little better. <laughs> even if they give me like 20 t- check ketchup packets, even if they give me 20, I'm like, well, you know, the fruit's still better with Jesus, you know? Bring in a big old cluster of grapes next time you go to BK. Be like, have you ever had this? It's got no, you know. I'm going to start a BK ministry here, aren't we? It's like Culver's Church. Culver's Church. <laughs> I stand corrected. I stand corrected. So we were grafted in, and we could go ahead and take a look at that next, that next picture. This is what that grafting looks like. 
I don't know if anybody here has ever tried to graft a tree into another tree. It's a really interesting process. There's all different kinds of ways to do it, but this is one of the main ways that it's done. The main, the main tree root and the main tree branch is cut in two. And then the one that it's supposed to be grafted into is kind of sliced on the sides and just kind of shoved in the middle. Then they wrap it around with a bandage. When some people become believers, they experience some of these cuts. These things have to be kind of shaved off on the side in order to be kind of fit in there, right? What is the Lord doing when, when you and I get grafted in? He's cutting off those things of sin, those things that were unholy, the things that were keeping us from being wedded together in the graft of the true vine. And why does God do this? So that your life stops looking like and begins to bear good fruit. Good fruit. And what is the fruit that he's looking after? We all know this from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This is the fruit that God's going after in your life and mine. He's like, this is the fruit, I'm fruit of love. I want your life to be full of love. Love for the Lord, love for other people. Joy. Peace, long-suffering. Like, oh, long-suffering. Does that have to be one of the fruits? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes to go through that one. They're like, man, I can, be, can we have like the fruit of short-suffering? Maybe I, maybe I could handle short-suffering. He's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, right. But no, long-suffering. They're like, can we just take the translation that says patience? That sounds even better. Like, that's what long-suffering is, guys. You know? My wife kind of came up with this funny song when describing patience for our kids, which we talk about every three minutes. And um, <laughs> patience means, she goes, patience means to wait with a smile on your face. Oh, I just totally stung all of you there, right there. And you're like, really? Do we have to smile while we wait? Yeah, because that's what long-suffering is. That's the long. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. You know, we just sang a song, right? All my life you have been faithful. And then the Lord's like, yeah, yeah, I have. Let me teach you what that looks like yourself. That you also reflect God in the faithfulness that you are able to demonstrate in your life. You're supposed to be be, and becoming more and more faithful to people, faithful in marriage, faithful as a parent, faithful as a grandparent. They're supposed to be seeing more faithfulness in you and less unfaithfulness. Then we have the gentleness. And the self-control. Isn't that funny that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Because we often think like, oh, I control myself, so that's self-control. No, <laughs> that's not what self-control is. Self-control as God controlling you. That's how you actually can steer your vessel in the right way. You know, this last week I went 
uh, jet skiing, which was enormously fun. I don't know if I have any jet ski friends in here. Any jet ski friends? We should go. That's really fun, right? But one of the things I noticed is that we got stuck behind a, a boat that was in front of us. And the boat was pretty big, so it had a big wake on the side, right? And I was thinking, oh, if I, if I, if I want to control this, that I'm going to go a specific way. If I just, if I just follow them, I'm going to be okay. But I got stuck. The only way that you can get past a wave is not to go alongside it or parallel to it. It's to go perpendicular. That's the only way. And I was thinking, that's kind of like God's self-control for us. He's like, you have to go against the grain. You have to go my way of control in order to get through the waves of life. If you try to go just parallel with them, you're just going to get rocked back and forth. So these are the fruits. And the thing about this is that now we get into the kind of the heart of the matter in this passage is that he talks all this, all this at the beginning about, about the vine and the branches. But when he gets to verse 4, it really changes when he says this word, abide in me, abide in me. Because there is something that's very different from all the kind of vine analogies, because if, if you're a branch and a vine, if you're, a, if you're in the actual plant, you have no choice but to abide in the vine. You are there, but we have a choice. Every day we have a choice. Are we going to abide in him? And it's a decision we make. It's a decision we make each and every day. I remember when I was first a believer, and I would sometimes wake up, and I had been before, I had been an atheist, I had, been, I had tossed aside the things that of, my, of my upbringing, I had gone about as far away as I, I, I saw should be, I should go away, and I would wake up some mornings, and I would sit up in my bed, and I'd be like, I'm a Christian. And it just didn't make any sense to me at all. I was like, how did I get here? How did I, did I receive Jesus? I received Jesus. I remember talking to myself in my bed. I received Jesus. What is going on with me? And I had to kind of go over that decision. I'd have to almost talk myself through like my conversion. Be like, yeah, oh yeah, the sin. Oh yeah, my life. Oh yeah. <laughs> kind of like my life was like really kind of rocky and I was doing things my own way. BK analogy once again. So sorry. <laughs> Culver's, Culver's. <laughs> and I had to kind of almost rehearse the receiving of Jesus again and be like remembering why I did it. And every time I went back and kind of rehearsed that and kind of went through it again, I was like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian because I need the Christ I need the Christ. And I was, what I was doing, I was, I was deciding again to abide, to abide. And I'll tell you what, guys, of all the days where I decided to ignore that and kind of push back against that, those days led to nothing good. <laughs> but every day that I made that decision, I, re I remember going to a men's study like seven in the morning on Friday, and I was like, I was in grad school at the time. And every, every morning that I had to get up for this thing, I was like, 
no. I don't care how much coffee they serve. I did not want to go in my flesh. But every day that I went, that day always ended up straight line, lots of fruit, beauty, love, peace. All this fruit came. And I was always like, how did that happen? And the Lord's like, <coughs> you abided in me. I was like, oh. And you begin to learn more and more. The more abiding you do, the more you, the more you sit at his feet, the more you raise your hands, the more you just worship the king. That's how the fruit comes. Many teachers have pointed this out, right? When, when you see a fruit, a tree that is bearing fruit, and you go up and you listen real closely to the branch, you can listen really closely to it. What you do not hear is trying really hard, trying really hard. No, they're just tree. They're just hanging out, you know? And then, and then the fruit comes, you know? It's not over there. You, you don't hear, go, go listen to a tree today. Go up to it. You're, you're not going to hear the, the groans. and They're just abiding. And some, for some people, this is like, can be like a giant revelation. You mean I don't have to like put all this extra fleshly effort? No, I mean, it does, it, there is effort in abiding, of course. But it's like, it's just, just sit at his feet. That's what abiding is, you know? Some people have certain sin problems, and I think I've mentioned this before in preaching, but, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, I can get over this sin thing by, uh, by, by my own control. Most likely, the Lord will equip you to, to deal with that and, and root that out of your life if you would just worship Him. The Lord can take all kinds of stuff out of your life where he becomes the surgeon. If you just sing a praise song to him, he can do all kinds of stuff that cannot be gotten out of your life by you trying to do something, right? The self-help book kind of version of Christianity, which does not work and leads to a lot of... Well, you know what that's like. What season of life are you in? What season of life are you in when it comes to this issue of bearing fruit and this issue of being pruned and being cleaned? I want to talk you through these, these first three verses because there's some, there's some beautiful things in here that you, you may not have, have noticed, but come back again and, and read these first three verses with me. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. We talked about that. And he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Now it sounds like that word takes away is like a removal. And, and it's, that's one possible interpretation. An, another, another interesting thing, this is, this is the Greek verb airo, which means to lift up. Very often if you have a vine, a vine will, portions of it will, will grow on the ground and those places will get very dirty and those tend to be not very fruitful. So this means that he also lifts up the thing that is dirty or the thing that maybe needs a little bit of inspection and will take a look at it in order to kind of see himself. Just like this is what the vine dresser does with your life. He picks up your life. He's like, oh, let me take a look at this, this Pastor Jeff life. And, hmm, that's a little dirty here. It's not as fruitful as I would like. 
And he, he goes on and he says, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. And the word there for prune is actually a word that is attached to the word iro. It means, it means kathiros, which is where we get the word cathartic. It means he purges it. He lifts it up. And now he begins to clean it or to cut it. But notice what it says. He does not prune or cut so that you will be damaged. He does it so that you will be more fruitful. And I would, I, would, I would guess that for those listening, that there are times in your life where you have maybe felt like, you know, Lord, I'm already fruitful here. And he's like, yeah, but I want more fruit. And you're like, but there's already fruit. And he's like, I would like five more bushels. And you're like, but I've got two. And he's like, five Two, five, and then make a cut. And you're like, sometimes you're confused. You're like, I don't understand why he would cut that. And then he goes on and he says, you are already clean. And the word there, clean, is katharos. It's actually, so we have these two terms. We have iro for lift up, katharos, which means cleaned or pruned already. And then that middle word, which is it's all about the same thing. So he says, when you are already clean, he's like, I've already, I've already pruned you. And how does he prune and clean? I've already, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He said, he's, I've already, you guys are already clean. You've already been pruned. You're already becoming more fruitful. So the question I have for you and for me is, where are you? Where are you in this process? Are you, does the, is the Lord asking you perhaps, maybe you've already borne fruit, maybe you have fruit and you're like, you're happy with the fruit. And you're like, oh, this is good fruit. I'm, 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 I'm serving the Lord, I'm, I'm loving it. And he's like, but I need to clean your fruit more. Let's go look at that next picture. I, I was talking to the Lord about this this week and the Lord was showing me some things about, about me and he said, yeah, Jeff, I, I understand there's, there is some fruit, but Jeff, you're kind of like the guy on the left here. You're, you're, you're showing the fruit that you're happy with, but your hands are filthy. If, if you or I went to a farmer's market and, and we saw the difference between the fruit on the left with the dirty hands and someone's like, hey, why don't you take this tomato? You'd be like, uh, no thanks. But if someone came with the clean hands and the beautiful Oh, that, those vine ripened tomatoes at the store, right? They're like $17 now, but... <laughs> but if you were to the mar- farmer's market, which one would you buy? And the thing the Lord spoke to me about this was, you know what? Sometimes we look at the fruit that we are bearing. If you're, if you're already a you know, Christian, if you're, if you're walking with Christ and you're bearing fruit... Awesome, but he was telling me, Jeff, the fruit that, that I'm doing in your life, it's not for you. It's for others to partake in. And I was so convicted when he spoke that to my heart because I was like, I've been looking at the fruit from the perspective of whether I like it rather than if somebody else is able to take from it. And I was like, oh Lord, would you, would you clean me so that I don't have these like dirty hands as I try to offer the fruit that I think is good enough. And he's like, it's, it's not, it's not clean. It's not clean in the way that somebody else is going to be like, just 
immediately go and take it. Or maybe, maybe the Lord is, is looking at your life and he's talking to you about this issue of pruning. Now, I've got some funny stories here about pruning. Let's take a look at the next slide. So years ago, you see that? That's called hat rack pruning. <laughs> so years ago, um, my good friend, Sean Powell, he's a gardener. He was teaching me a lot about plants because I was, I was new to like, I was new to Florida, I was new to plants. I was, uh, I, there was all kinds of plants I didn't know about here. And uh, he came over to our house one day to, to show me some stuff about, about pruning and stuff. And he, he, um, he went at these plants and he like cut them back hard. And I was looking at them and this is what I saw. I was like, what did you do? You know, like all the flowers were gone, all the stuff. And I was like, I, I was expecting to come back to, the, to look like more flowery or something. And he, he totally cut them back. And, and he was totally right because within about a couple weeks, how he pruned it was so that all these new things would begin to then shoot off that, those main stems and more flowering. And they were just beautiful. But then I tried pruning, and I was like, oh, that's what pruning is. So I got out my shears and tried it on a different plant, but I didn't know anything about what I was doing because I didn't learn some of the, the basic principles of pruning. And I just started, jing, 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 you know? And I was like, oh, it looks about the same. It's not the same at all. It's not the same at all. And the reason why you call that hat, hat rack pruning is because all you can do is put a hat on at the end. There's no, there's no new limbs. You're just basically killing the plant. And so I, 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 I researched this and I talked to Sean and, and I watched some videos this week and there are different types of pruning and I just want to kind of show you these pruning things because I think that this is largely what the Lord sometimes shows us. If, if, if you can see what he's doing, if you understand. So let's look at a few of these pruning cuts. The first one is called a heading cut. Let me take a look at that. The heading cut. Do you see that, that picture? It's where you take the, 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 the branches, it's growing out, and there's a, no, there's a nodule. Is that the right term? A, a nodule? I think so. That's where the new growth is supposed to happen, and you cut off just above it at just the right angle, and a new beautiful branch that usually is very flowering or very fruitful will grow right off the head. It's for increasing I didn't know where to cut. I didn't know that you're supposed to cut right above this nod, this nodule, so that the new thing would grow. The Lord knows exactly where to cut. The next type of cut is called a thinning cut. The thinning cut removes an entire branch in order to thin out the interior. And the, the purpose is that there's more openness to the plant and there's more even growth. And this is something the Lord also spoke to me this week. What if he's cutting and pruning you, not for you? What if he's pruning you so that another branch you don't even know, or maybe a branch in the body, we're all branches here, can grow themselves and become more fruitful? And I thought, oh man, I'm just, I mean, I'm already self-absorbed because I'm a human being, but it's like when you realize these things about how he works like in body life and in how he works in your life in this issue of, of cleaning and fruit for others and room for others, you begin to see, oh man, when he's pruning, he knows what he's doing. 
The next cut is called a re-leadering cut. I know you wanted to learn all kinds of stuff about horticulture this morning, right? That's why you came. Like, let me hear the word and learn some stuff about agriculture, right? Well, here you go. The re-leadering cut, which is a reduction, it leads into a new area. So as you can see there in the picture, it cuts off one part in order that a branch that already exists may grow in a new direction, a new direction of long-term growth. And for some of you, that's exactly what the Lord is doing. He's cutting off a portion of what your life is so that something else can go in a new direction. And lastly, this was the most interesting one for me. It's called the jump cut. The jump cut is a three there's three cuts. There's the A cut, you have to cut back here first, and then you cut here in front of it so that you can take off a heavy limb without damaging the tree around it. And if you do this, a cut in a certain way, it's going to take out this heavy thing that is basically a burden to the plant or a burden to your life, but he does it in stages. And I thought to myself, oh man, what if there is there pruning that the Lord's doing in my life that I think is like one fell swoop? And he's like, no, 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 I, I've got this in stages. And then you take off the weight of that one so that eventually the big thing can come off that's cut C. And I thought to myself, how much of this is stuff that I don't even understand about how the father being the vine dresser knows exactly what he's doing in order to prune and cut my life so that it is more fruitful, but he may be cutting it in ways that I don't understand. And if you've gone through this, if you, or maybe you're experiencing this now and you're like, Lord, I don't understand this cut. He's like, I know. I know you don't understand it. Lord, I don't understand this pruning. I don't understand why you would take this thing off. I thought it was already, I thought it was already fruitful. And he's like, yeah, I know you were happy with the two bushels, but, or you're like, Lord, I thought my life was supposed to go in this direction. And he's like, well, I was kind of thinking more like this one. We must trust the vine dresser. And lastly, when he says there at the beginning, in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Lifted up, taken off. Sometimes the Lord does pruning in your life and he takes something completely away. Or he takes a branch out of the body and you're like, why is that gone? And sometimes he does it so that even for future generations there might be something that happens that you and I don't understand. If we would just let him lift us up and take off that thing. In the book of Numbers, chapters 2 and 3, there's this amazing story. They're, they're in the wilderness, right? And there's a lot of grumbling of the nation of Israel, right? Moses has led them, led them out of Egypt. They are now headed towards the promised land. But as you guys know, those of you who have studied the first five books of the Bible, there's 40 years 
of wandering and 40 years of preparation and 40 years where they, they have the tabernacle and organization and there's all this stuff that's happening. And very often, the people are objecting. They're like, why? I, I want to go back to Egypt. I, I, want, I want what I had, the leeks and all this kind of stuff. And, and they're not happy with the manna waffles and the manna sandwiches and the manna, oh look, manna for dessert, great, sprinkled on manna, fantastic, you know. And the Lord was ordering them and the Lord was, was doing things in their lives they did not see and they did not understand. And one of the most amazing things for me is, I remember reading through this, Numbers chapters two and three, he organized the troops and he organized them in a specific pattern on the ground for where they were supposed to be when they were, when they were around the tabernacle and they were supposed to do it a specific way. And I'm sure, like with a lot of other things, they were like, why do we have to do it in this order? And maybe you're wondering that for yourselves. Why does my life have to go in this order? Why do I have to go through this chapter? Why do I have to experience that thing? Why can't you take away this pain? Why can't you just bring the fruit like now? And they were organized, and this is the picture of what they were organized into in the Numbers chapters 2 and 3. Do you see the picture? He was organizing them in the shape of the cross with the tabernacle at the center, the place of sacrifice. And But only if you went up on a ledge, or you were in a very old helicopter, (laughs) could you have seen this marvelous sign? And yet for everyone who now reads the Bible and looks back and and, and reads these things about how they were organized and and takes a second to look, goes, oh my gosh. Look what the Lord was doing even back then as he was pruning these people so that I now, how many thousands of years later, could go back and go, Look what the Lord was doing with them. Look how he was organizing them. Look what he was showing them. Look what he's showing me so that I can see his plan and his purpose now at this time, at this vantage point. The Lord will sometimes cut and prune things in your life and the fruit will not come even in your generation. It may be born in a grandson or a granddaughter. It may be born in the generation after that. But the Lord will bear the fruit. The Lord will show his sign. As we close and as we head towards, uh, towards our time of communion, I just want to show you guys one last thing here. Look with me in, in with verses 5, 6, and 7 of John 15. First of all, he says, for without me, you can do nothing. And the word for, for can there is the word dynamite, which is dynamite. And then this is just a word for anybody who, who maybe, maybe you're on the fence of, of being grafted in. Maybe you're like, I don't want to give up this thing in my life or give that thing in my life. He tells that person quite plainly, without me, you can do nothing. The fruit that we, we talked about from, from, from before, all that stuff about the, the love, the joy, the peace, that will not come any other way. It is only born through the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. 
You may even consider yourself a relatively patient person, but the Lord's like, um, I still want to teach you about the long suffering of that patience. You, you may consider yourself this or this, and the Lord's like, I have fruit that you know not of. Without me, without Jesus, you can do nothing. And I, and I want to just show you verse 6 and 7. This, this, I think, is such a beautiful contrast of the ways of the Lord and what he does. In, in verse 6 it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out. Now that sounds rather harsh, and, and it is. But look at the mercy even here in the casting out. It's not just a single step. He's cast out, gone. He says this, he is cast out as a branch. So there's the branch. And is withered, so then the branch by itself begins to kind of shrivel up. Have you ever had one of those weeks where you decided not to abide in Christ and you just, the fruit just gone? And the joy gone. Just shriveling. And it says, and then they gather them. So then there's, there's, the, there's the withering and then there's the gathering, right? All the time, still a branch. And then throwing them. Do you, do you see how many opportunities there are here for like repentance, for turning around, for deciding to come back? And then finally, they are burned. But they have to go through all these processes. And I think the Lord is kind of saying through that, do you really want that? Do you, do you really want to be, to, to leave the vine? Do you want the withering? Do you want the thrown out? Do you want others to gather you up? Do you want to be carried? Now Chuck Smith has this amazing saying. He says, you know, for people who are really concerned about, well, if, am I, if, if I don't abide, then I'm going to be cast out. Well, then he goes, well, then abide. <laughs> like, you know, stop wondering about all the other stuff and just abide in the vine. Like, if you're really worried about it, just hop on in, get back in the fellowship. Come on. Come where the fruit is. So that's, that's for the, don't abide in me, but look at the next verse. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And it's like, it's like as soon as you decide, he's like, just ask, you know, if you're, if you're in, if you're in me, you're going to ask the right things, and it's going to be done. The, the immediacy of what the Lord does if we decide to abide is amazing when you contrast it with this issue of not abiding. Abide. Be in the vine. Let the vine dresser do what he needs to do, the, the cuts. Let him clean. Let him help you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And as we, we turn now to a time of, of communion, I just want to show you something real quick. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to be actually reading through this in just a minute, so I'm gonna actually gonna, we're going to skip ahead actually to verse 29. So this is after Jesus talks about taking and eating of his body, drinking of his blood, and he says this, but I say to you, verse 29 of Matthew 26, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine 
from now on until that day when I drink it new with you. That is an amazing promise, is it not? He's, he's talked to them about the body. He's talked to them about, about the blood. And then he tells them that he wants to share in the fruit. And guys, how does, how does, how does the fruit become the juice? By being pressed. And that's exactly what Jesus had to do on the cross. He had to be pressed. He had to be crushed. You probably read, read the, the, the verses that he was crushed for our iniquities. Why? Why? So that he would bear the sin. That he would allow and, and, and be able to have the fruitfulness that you and I are able to so wonderfully partake in. And he wants to drink it with you. He wants the bearing of the fruit. He wants the drink. And he wants to do it with you. We're going to sing a song and then come back and take communion together. So if the worship team would come up, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the promise that you will drink this cup with us, Lord, anew in your kingdom. Thank you so much, Lord, that you know exactly what you're doing when you when you make those cuts in our lives, Lord, that you prune with amazing accuracy. And Lord, we trust you with the pruning. We trust you with the cleaning. We trust you with the lifting up of our lives. And as we turn now to, to, to sing to you, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to every person here, Lord. If, if there's someone here who has not received Christ, who has not made that decision to abide in the vine, before you take of the communion cup, you can receive him right now. And then, you can and then you can take the cup, and then you can take the bread. But if you haven't decided, please let it pass. But all you have to do is agree to do with that, what we saw in that first thing, what the Lord has shown, is to cut off the thing that inhibits you, to cut off the sin. He wants you to lay down your sin. He wants you to repent from that and receive him. If you're here this morning, if you never received him, pray and ask him to come into your heart right now. Do not delay. And he will begin to bear fruit. So Lord, you, you have heard all we have said. We have, we have seen all the hearts here, Lord. Guide us now as we sing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.